On today's episode of Gibbons Leads, Gabby and I talked to Greg Hebert. Greg is a highly sought after leadership coach and educator who has studied the science of resiliency and positive psychology for more than 25 years. A graduate of West Point and the Harvard Business School and a former U.S. Army officer, adjunct faculty member of Yale School of Management and McKinsey Consultant, Greg's eclectic mix of experiences allow him to bring a unique wealth of knowledge and perspective to the science of well-being and success. He founded and runs Leadership Forward, a leadership performance firm serving clients throughout the country, and he has personally coached hundreds of professionals and teams in several industries, helping them find fulfillment and significance in their life and work. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Greg. Greg, how are you doing? It's Brent Nolan at Cardinal Givens. Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. We really yeah. appreciate it. I'm excited to do it. We, uh, we also have Gabby Byrne in the room. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hey, Gabby. I'm, I'm doing great. I've been looking forward to this. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We are looking yeah. forward to it as well. So I guess we'll jump right in. I, uh, I loved your book. I had oh, uh, I made a, several highlighters bleed uh, as I was going through it. Um, but we're going to jump off with, uh, yeah. you know, a question that I think really fits the, uh, the title, obviously. You can't give what you don't have. Creating the seven <laughs> habits that make a remarkable life. What does a remarkable life look like to you, Greg? Well, you know, I, I, uh, since you guys pointed, you know, you gave that wonderful introduction to uh, what you guys are doing. Uh, and, and then that led me to be more curious about uh, Cardinal Gibbons High School. And, and I looked at the values and, and the virtues that you guys embraced, beginning with uh, joy and and, uh, and faith and family and home uh, and, uh, I think, uh, opportunities. Uh, I, I think those virtues embrace the, the remarkable life, that, that life is uh, an incredible gift, and, uh, and, and uh, we only get one really shot at it. So we got to try to make it the most. And so I, my, my view is a remarkable life is one that's filled with tremendous joy, uh, happiness, grace, um, uh, hope, optimism. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just filling your life with uh, the, the appreciation that uh, we've been given this magnificent life and, and, and we're called to make the most of it. Uh, and and I'm, you know, if you look at the issues of obesity and depression and uh, uh, suicide, I mean, all, all of these ills, um, we, we've, you, you guys are be doing fantastic work uh, in, in trying to get this early in people's lives. Uh, I, I, I try to get it uh, dealing with the clients that I serve, that, that we have choices. And the best life is the one that's filled with intention and purpose. Uh, and, and so uh, I think having a remarkable life is, is within the grasp of all of us, but it, it just doesn't show up. You, you, you know, there's, you, you got to work at it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it, um, it seems, I love the way you articulated it and you said what remarkable means to you, but I think we all agree on a lot of things you said, but it's still so difficult. Why, why is it so difficult to do those things? Because um, life, life uh, is 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 one of uh, filled with great temptation. Uh, the other thing is that the brain is wired for safety and predictability and certainty, and and so because of that, the, the way the the brain is wired for those things, often the path of least resistance will get you there. 
But if you want to have a, you know, if you want to have be on a on a, a championship basketball team, you you, you want to put on, you know, in, in high school, I, I I tried to balance both being an athlete, a, a good student, and uh, uh, you know, a thespian. And uh, you know, I remember the first play in, in my senior high school was Harvey, and I had to play Elwood P. Dowd. And the amount of work and effort and discipline I had to put into that role um, was uh, was incredible. But the the, the outcome was you know, that the audience loved it and, um, and and deeply appreciated all of the work that the cast and and and, uh, and I and the director had to do to bring across a great show. So uh, I, I guess if, if you want to have a remarkable life, it, it, it just doesn't show up. You, you got to put intention and effort. Uh, a perfect example is uh, I just turned 60 and uh, I, I, for, for several years, I had been making suboptimal decisions about uh, staying active because I have a knee that had zero cartilage. Uh, so I, I stopped playing tennis. I, I stopped playing basketball. I uh, w- would hike less. I would ski less. So in, on December 27th, I had a total knee construction. And as much uh, struggle and, and pain as the recovery has been, I'm inspired by it because I, I, I know uh, every day I do the physical therapy. Uh, I, I do all the things that are necessary to accelerate my, my recovery. I'm, I'm going to get it that much closer to being even more active uh, in, in my life, which I think adds to you know what, what a remarkable life is all about. That's great. I, you know, it's amazing to me too how as you looked up our school, the first word that came out of your mouth was joy, uh, and that you you were able to kind of glean that from you know some of the information about us online because we use that word a lot. Uh, with our students and with parents and with educators about, you know, how do we find that joy? And I found it really interesting in your book, you kind of talk about this concept of joy and then also happiness. And how how would you differentiate between those two things? I'm sure you get this question a lot. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I, I I consider uh, joy to be happiness on steroids. It's, it's taking this, this, this level of, of, of pleasure and pride uh, and and perhaps hope uh, in the future, which is, you know all the facets of happiness, but then you know it's it's elevating. I, I think in the uh, I think Brent used the word activate when when he uh, had the opportunity to work with you, Agabi, and go to the first uh, 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 Gibbons uh, leadership conference. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and so he used the word activate. So you know I, I loved when when I show up to speak to an audience or work with a team. My, my, my first sort of, uh, as I prepare my purpose, in, invariably what I want to try to do is excite and engage and elevate my audience so that they feel what I feel. Uh, be, because unless you evoke people's emotions, uh, what we're learning about change is uh, oftentimes we get paralyzed by having to change. And it's only by uh, getting into a, a high emotional state of of, of uh, enthusiasm, of excitement, of uh, glee, of <laughs> jubilation. Uh, can, can we elevate, uh, you know, our, ourselves to uh, incredible heights of performance? I mean, I, you know, I think all of us were quite impressed with Patrick Mahomes uh, and, and his leadership of, of the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Um, and and what, what's amazing is what they're talking about of how he in that fourth quarter 
you know, was, was rallying the coach, was rallying his colleagues, and he did it with a tremendous amount of, of joy. <laughs> and that joy was infectious. So, boy, if this guy believes we, you know, we can overcome a deficit in the biggest game of our lives, then, then uh, there, there's got to be something to it. <laughs> Absolutely. That also kind of, I feel like, kind of contradicts sometimes what I think maybe some of our young people kind of think of. When they think of a leader, they may tend to think of someone that's really kind of direct or kind of um, a little bit more aggressive or, you know, really kind of outspoken um, and, and maybe even rash. And I feel like sometimes joy isn't necessarily the first word that comes to mind when you think of a leader. But, you know, I think that that's really important for, for us to know about leadership is that some of the best leaders are jo- so joyous that they they give that energy to other people and make them believe that anything can happen. Uh, so that's really great that, that you can kind of affirm that quality because that's not common uh, for most people kind of attach that to well, what they think of leaders. Uh, th- this weekend, I, uh, my wife and I attended a choir retreat uh, up in the North Carolina mountains, a place called Highlands. Uh, and, and we got about five to six inches of snow. It was beautiful. But we, we had a, uh, the director who, who leads us. She's a, she's a remarkable woman. And, and one of the qualities and characteristics that she embodies is joy. And because of her joy in music, and, and, and when we sing, um, when we sing really well, you see her joy even elevated. But I noticed that even when we sang poorly, she, she would find a way to turn it into the positive. Right. And, and so if, if, if you uh, read in my book about the seven habits, the second habit is to uh, uh, work towards um, in embodying and embracing as much positive emotion as possible. Absolutely. And I think for me, one of the challenges I faced is that oftentimes as a young man, and even in my middle ages, uh, often my prayer to God was one of, you know, God, why can't I be better? Why can't I do this? Why can't I be smarter? Why can't I? And, uh, uh, and, and I, it, it saddened me that, you know, that was often my prayer. And, and so, you know, I, I had, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago, this epiphany that the, the greatest thing that God ever gave me was the privilege of life. And, and gave me, you know, thankfully gave me uh, decent intelligence, uh, gave me a, a heart and passion, and, and, and uh, the number of positive things that have happened in my life, having the privilege of go to a place like West Point, uh, and, and still on uh, government's uh, expense, I got to go to the Harvard Business School. I, I had the greatest of all jobs to teach leadership to young men and women at the United States Military Academy. So as I look back on my life and to see all of the incredible opportunities and experiences that I've had, you know, the, the, the paradigm shift was, my gosh, you know, I, I need to be in a, in a perpetual state of joy. And, and the more perpetual state of joy I was in, the more successful I found myself. That it, was, it be, created this uh, virtuous cycle, if that makes any sense. That the, and, and then all this research that we're discovering in neurosciences that says, when you are in a happier state of being, like you're more creative, uh, you, you think faster, you make better decisions. Um, doctors put in a happier mood, uh, are, are able to make a diagnosis three times as fast and much more accurate. So I, I've just discovered in my own life that when I can shift my state of being in, into one of greater happiness and joy, I, I, I become my, my better self. Yeah, I like that. And I... Um... 
to build on that and to ask you a question on that, sometimes when I see people, they'll say, oh, Brent, you're so optimistic or you're so happy, you know, as if it was a, a winning lottery ticket that I won. And part of me is very flattered that they think that. And the other part of me is a little bit upset because, hey, this is a choice. I, I've, I've decided and I've, I've worked to be this way and, yeah. and you can too. Um, yeah. How do you handle that when people maybe perceive it that way? You know, it, 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 if you go back into all of the self-help literature, um, you know, probably one of the greatest books was Stephen Covey's The, uh, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders. Uh, but there's but there's a, a ton of, of, of books that, that go back to what I think is an important source document, certainly that I speak to in my book, and that's Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And and uh, one of the things that continues to move my heart and my soul is thinking about Victor being marched in, in horrendous uh, weather conditions with uh, that they were all scantily clothed. If you fell out of your formation, you know there, you, you might have got a, a rifle butt uh, from one of the, the guards. And yet, being marched off to these work camps, he had this imaginary conversation uh, 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 with with his his wife. And unbeknownst to him, you know, his wife sadly had already been killed. But yet, uh, when you read those conversations that he had with them with, with with himself, and his quote of you know the Germans could take away all the last of human freedoms, but one, the freedom to choose my own attitude regardless of circumstance. And I, I don't know about you, Gabby and Brent, but that's like, when you said, you know, people think I won the lottery. Well, we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's true. Uh, wow. I, I get to choose my attitude. And, and most of the life that, that we live, it looks nothing like what these horrendous conditions of, of Viktor Frankl and his colleagues at Auschwitz. So, you know, li living in America at this time, uh, at this place, the privileges of freedom that we have, we did all win the lottery. So I, I, I know sometimes it's hard for a young person to see that when, you know, they're 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 filled with anxiety about you know the the, the next test. Uh, 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 does she like me or does he like me? And do I fit in? And you know what 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 why can't you know I have this or do this? It, it is hard sometimes to be young and. Not, not know what you really want and, and uh, you got a life ahead of you and all these choices you have to make but I I think the, the, the first choice is to remember you can choose your attitude regardless of circumstance that's a gift we've all been given I completely agree with that and I feel like you know sometimes it can be hard you know talking some of those distractions of you know, girlfriend, and what do people think of me, and, and all those things, and I think that, you know, sometimes people underestimate that adults are challenged with those same kind of distractions, and, you know, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about some of these distractions, and I know, you know, per having a purpose is, is really important. We talk to students a lot about, a little bit about legacy, you know, their time frame here at school is four years, and then they move on, and kind of what is that legacy, and what is that purpose, and I know that that's something that you discuss, you know, deeply in your book. Um, how, what advice do you have for, for young people, for, for anyone? How do you manage, you know, maintaining your focus on your purpose amidst these distractions that can kind of take you away from, from what that is? It's, it's a fantastic question because um, uh, j just about every coaching conversation I have with clients, 
in, in all of the, the team development sessions I do, uh, I, I continue to make the point that the purpose-driven life um, is, is, is one that you can't go wrong, but it says that if you want to live a purpose-driven life, start your day from a place of purpose. I, in my book, I have this little framework and uh, because I tend to be disorganized and, and people find that kind of like, because I, I have an undergraduate degree in engineering and an MBA from Harvard and I worked at this incredibly successful consulting firm called McKinsey, but I am not naturally organized and I am not naturally disciplined and I am not naturally deliberate. So I, I find that I need uh, helpful frameworks and structures for me to be at my best. So the, the early morning ritual I have is my six P's for positive and profound living. And always my P1 is what's my purpose today? And, and even on the weekends, uh, I, I will be mindful to begin my day of how do I make the day as meaningful as possible? And, and, and so reminding myself of the opportunity I have to be a great husband reminding myself of uh, I, I have two daughters that live close by and two grandchildren and how, how can I be the most loving grandfather and and, and father to to, uh, to my family and how can I make sure I'm using the day as wisely as possible so it, it's just I, I you know it's, it's, it's simple but it, but it takes sort of a, a discipline to recognize that if you don't start your day uh, too often I know for me that the, the day can take me away if I don't begin from a place of what, what is it that I want to do today to make sure it is as meaningful as possible. Um, and, and so that's always my P1. And then my P2 is, and, and what are the principles that I want to make sure I observe and, and, and stay in tune with? Uh, and, and, and if you don't, uh, the principles may not sound uh, a, another word that, that I, you know, you could use instead of principles is, what are the values that I want to make sure I support myself with as I begin this day? And what the neuroscience says, and all of this experimentation is telling us that um, the, the brain needs to be reminded of what's important. I think a, a beautiful Christian writer by the name of C.S. Lewis often said, we need less to be instructed and more uh, to be reminded. And, uh, you know, get, given the mission and, and the purpose of, of your uh, wonderful high school, um, you know, there's a reason why uh, we, we, we go to Mass at, at least every week. Um, but, you know, I will tell you, as I thought about talking to you both, um, West Point was probably one of the um, most important part of, of my life and probably the best decision I ever made um, was, was every morning make the journey from my barracks uh, up the hill to a Holy Trinity uh, for daily Mass. And uh, be, because they wanted to make sure mass fit within the schedule, you know, it was, uh, you know, the priest was told, you know, hear your homilies no more than like three minutes, <laughs> so so you you could get a mass in in twenty minutes, and and uh, and the gift I got was first uh, I I got to get out of my first morning formation where you got <laughs> terrible days by the upperclassmen, and then uh, when you finished uh, mass, you came back to the mess hall. Uh, where all the upperclassmen had already left, and you you, you, you got you avoided the hazing that went on at your table. So I, I felt by by my virtuous act of, of making the the slog up the hill, and no matter what conditions, I, I got rewarded by uh, 
having to avoid the the the, the uh, sometimes abusive treatment of the upperclassmen. West Point, thankfully, is a much more positive place. <laughs> but it was it was at the time I went there. Tremendous character development. <laughs> too good, too good. Um, one of the other things that I took away from the book, um, you know, we're all trying to jerry-rig uh, the game of life and how can, I, how can we create more time while well, I can be more efficient yeah. with my time. Yeah. But yeah. then I really loved how you talked about you can make your time more valuable if yeah. you have your energy uh, at a more healthy level. Yeah. And uh, I'll take that away and I'll use that the rest of my life in terms of, you know, whether it's sleeping or taking care of your body or being mindful. But I thought that was so interesting the way that you, you put how you can make your, your time more valuable if you take care of yourself. So, Brent, thank, thank you for, for raising that because uh, I, I will tell you that paradigm for me what was probably one of the most important things that ever happened to me in my adulthood because one of the crazy thoughts that I held from a very young age, beginning at when I went to West Point, was that uh, strong people didn't need sleep and, and that uh, really strong people could figure out how to actually wean themselves away from sleeping. And, uh, I, and I held that Neanderthal view for probably 27, 28 years of my life. And it, and it wasn't until I got that paradigm shift that I couldn't produce more time in my life, but I could produce more energy. And that energy is, is, is the currency of life. It's the currency of leadership. I mean, who, who wants to be led by someone who is, you know, shows up going, you know, hey, team, I'm, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of unenthusiastic about our chances today. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. um, you know, if, 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 if your listeners, you know, could take just one thing, it would be understand that every one of us has a biological range of sleep. And, and, and no matter how old you are, if you don't get that biological range filled, uh, you cannot be at your best. And so sadly, you know, my, the memories of my children and, and my wife are not that great because what I recall is I would start my week on Sunday uh, thinking I could go without sleep and by, by Friday uh, I was a basket case and I would use the weekend to sort of replenish. But when you are fatigued, when, when you are just so tired, how can you be your best self for the people that you lead, the people you serve, the people you support, and most of all, the people you love? So that that paradigm uh, of, of moving from one of time management to energy management, and, and if you look at the greatest athletes, you look at the greatest musical uh, artists and performers, they're, they're as thoughtful about their recovery and rest as they are about their performance. Michael Phelps, the you know, greatest Olympian ever, was as disciplined about his rest and recovery as he was about his performance. So that every time he showed up for the performance, he, 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 he was ready to peak because of what he'd done to take care of himself. So, you know, for me, that, that may be one of the most important lessons. And if I could go back and, and, and repeat uh, some of the years, I, I, I would have slept more. And more mindful about how, how do I recover well, so that when it's time to give my best, uh, I, I've got so much of me to give. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's something that Gabby and I discuss, and uh, we struggle with all the time because 
we're always trying to give, we're always trying to help other people, and sometimes things will be going really, really well. Uh, we were recently discussing, and everyone will have a great experience, uh, but then at the end of it, you'll kind of open your eyes like, what? I didn't even enjoy that moment. I, I, it all went great, but I, I forgot to enjoy it myself. And, and uh, I think we both are working on that ourselves, but if, if you're better rested, if you're more efficient with your energy, I, I believe that that would help with that also. It's something we're constantly working on. Well, and, and, and I think it's harder today because most of us are tethered to our phones and our computers. And um, there's always something to distract the mind, to keep the mind going. And, uh, you know, if, if there's another hard-earned lesson that I have, it's the importance of of mindfulness and and uh, you know certainly a very active prayer life but you know something as simple as you know sitting underneath a tree and reflecting on the gift of nature uh, and, and just being present to that and and I think um, th- that there's a valuable gift when the mind can be still you know there's there's wonderful scripture both in the New Testament and the Old Testament about you know be still and know that I am your God well, sometimes when you're not still, right, it's 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 hard to be present to that, right? So you know I, that 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 to me is uh, in my sixth P, which is presence. Uh, one of the ways I always act uh, activate that is to uh, my, my little ritual in the morning is I I try to work my body. I try to at least uh, spend ten minutes in meditation. Uh, I go through, you know, what are the three to five things that I'm most grateful for? Uh, and, and, and then, you know, my fourth is just the simple prayer. You know, God, may I be a, a, a positive um, blessing to all those who I will encounter today. And so if I, I if I sort of tend to my, my, my head, my heart, um, my spirit, uh, and my body, it makes, uh, sure, certainly makes my, my ability to be present, um, much easier you know I, I uh, and, and, and it's amazing that the more present I can be to an experience uh, to other people um, it, it never ceases to amaze me of just how much more effective I can be uh, l- last week I, I, I noticed that uh, because of a lingering cold I had lost my voice and so as, as I would meet with clients in coaching I, I found myself talking less and uh, in, in sadly, in one of my uh, uh, Catholic uh, report cards, uh, I don't know whether it was fifth or sixth grade, my teacher said if Gregory could use his two ears like his mouth, he might learn more. <laughs> um, you know, back then we used to get conduct grades. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I would tell you that I was so much more present to my clients um, because I had to, I had to listen more because I just it was a lot harder work to, to talk and, and and in two of the sessions I mean we had some real breakthroughs and and I didn't I, I did very little talking but but I as I stepped back and said why why, why was that so profound I, I think I was just even that much more present 
Absolutely. I feel like that's also another common misconception about leaders too, you know, and I, I get myself caught in that trap quite often of feeling the need to feed the energy constantly and, and, you know, through that really being the vocal person in the room and driving a conversation and responding and, and again, just being the, being the juice. And oftentimes we don't realize, and it's one of the greatest characteristics of a leader, a great quality is being able to listen and, and yeah. by doing so, we actually get our batteries charged and, and hearing what other people say and, and what they're getting from the experience, it, it helps kind of replenish some of that lost energy. So, you know, listening is something I think, you know, is not something that we often talk about with good leaders, uh, that they're good listeners. And, and, you know, as good leaders, we need to listen to, to replenish our own batteries sometimes. You know, I think that's important for, for everyone to kind of understand. Um, no, if, if you had told me that I would make a, my living from uh, listening to, to uh, uh, client leaders share their challenges, their opportunities, their struggles, uh, if you had told me that that's how I'd be making my living uh, 38 years ago when I graduated from West Point, I would have said you're crazy. And, and back then, as, as a young man, um, I had sort of uh, figured that I thought leadership was about taking charge and so I joined the infantry at, at a young age of 21, and I had this notion of follow me, because if I was the fastest, the smartest, the, 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 the most courageous, um, it, it, it would elicit uh, the, the greatest followership from, from those I led. And uh, again, I, I, I don't have regrets. I'm so grateful for all of the many twists and turns my life has taken. But I wish I had gotten the lesson about the importance of listening much earlier. Um, probably people were telling me as a young man that listening would be probably, the, the, if not the, certainly in, in the top three uh, in, in leadership skills. Uh, but but uh, if they did tell me that, I, I wasn't listening well to it. So, you know, it's, it's so interesting to talk about kind of some of your twists and turns in your life. And, you know, I know that I think Brent and I can both relate to kind of some of those undergraduate experiences and, and some of our experiences at a young age, especially in, in education, were really formational experiences, whether they were, you know, positive or, you know, perhaps kind of taught us some hard lessons. Um, I think it's really interesting how you were selected to teach this leadership and organizational change course. Tell me a little bit about that. Were you expecting to do something like that? And how did that kind of identification change your trajectory in your professional life? Yeah, um, great question. Um, I did reasonably well academically at West Point as a student, and and so uh, about sixty percent of the faculty at West Point are, are non-tenured, and and what that means is they'll take officers who are eight to nine years into their military experience. They'll ask if they want to come back and teach a particular subject for three years, uh, and and uh, to, to prepare for you prepare you for that experience. They'll, they will send you to a, a you know a great graduate program that will equip you with with enough insights around that topic to be relevant when you show up on the faculty. So uh, I, I, I felt enormously privileged that I was reached out to by the Department of History. Uh, I was reached out to the, by the Department of Social Sciences, and then I was reached out to by the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. Uh, and, and so I could have taught history. I could have taught social sciences which was my major, international relations, or I could come back and teach leadership. And um, to be honest with you, the, the leadership was the most daunting because there was a lot of things I did well, uh, but there were a lot of things that I wish I could have done better. 
And, and so picking leadership was as much an invitation for me to sort of step back uh, and to look critically at the kind of leader I'd been in. I, I'd been to the soldiers that I had served the last nine years uh, in the active army. Uh, and, and also from that discernment and reflection, could I then show up at West Point ready to want to make a difference in the young men and women that I got to teach? Uh, and, and, and so it, um, because I knew I was going to teach leadership, I got to go to the Harvard School of Education and take a couple courses in leadership there. I got to go to the Kennedy School of Government and take a couple courses in leadership there. So um, even though I was centered at the Harvard Business School, uh, I, I, I was sort of dipping my toe in, in all of these different perspectives and lenses around how, did, how is leadership taught and more importantly, how is leadership caught? And uh, and, and uh, I, I uh, of, of all the decisions I ever made in, in adulthood uh, around my profession, going back and teaching leadership, and, and eventually uh, creating courses around leading change, uh, have, you know, have, have been the greatest blessings in my life. Uh, one, I I found that I love teaching, <laughs> uh, and, and again, what the research shows is when you love something, you tend to be better at it. Uh, and, and, uh, and I wanted to be great at it. So there was this deep passion that every time I walked into the classroom, I, I, I wanted to hopefully inspire my, my, my students, uh, but, but also I wanted them to be more thoughtful. Uh, I, I, I think the greatest gift uh, that we have is our neural, our, our prefrontal cortex. We have this great capacity to analyze, to make sense of things, uh, and, and it is... Uh, you know, a great, great tool, but it's easily overwhelmed. Uh, and, and so, you know, again, uh, of all the lessons in my life, uh, taking care of myself so that I can use this God-given gift of thoughtfulness. Um, because we, we, we don't know how much we're being influenced by uh, the culture that we live in. You know, the, you, 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 you are known by the company you keep, right? And so, you know, uh, Gabby, as you're sharing about um, the importance of podcasts, you know, that, that you, you, you are sort of making sure you're filling that drive time with things that will edify you and, and elevate you and lift you up and give you new perspectives. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think uh, for, for me, going into the classroom, uh, I, I wanted to be the very best for my students, which means that, that I had to do my heavy lifting to be as thoughtful, as prepared, uh, as I possibly could to be a source of not just uh, inspiration, but, but insight. Well, there's about 17 other things I want to talk to you about, but we, <laughs> we promised you we'd be efficient with your time. Uh, one of our words that is commonly uh, used on our campus is engagement. Sometimes uh, it'll even get an eye roll from one of our students because we say it so often. But I was going to read verbatim what you wrote in your book, you say, engagement is actively and enthusiastically participating in the activities of our lives that help us grow, learn, and give us joy. And then, and then you continue to say, engagement stretches our social, emotional, and intellectual intelligence. Uh, I thought that was really well put, and we're going to steal that a lot. Um, we just have uh, such a common belief that if we can get our students or anyone on campus engaged in an activity, um, that's really where the magic happens for us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything that you could add to that or a, a story that's 
uh, specific. Yeah, I just uh, you you made me think of uh, a, a dear dear friend of mine who was shot down over North Vietnam in 1967. His name is Lee Ellis, and and Lee endured great torture uh, at the hands of his captors. Uh, he was shot down ten days before John McCain. Uh, Lee is 75 today, uh, not today, but but this year, and and he's he's into writing his sixth book. Uh, and and the man you, you talk about engagement. And, and here's a man who uh, has every right to retire, but when you when you get to talk to him, you 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 see the power of engagement. And and so I, you know, I, for me, I guess I leave you with this: is that you know God's given us this this one life, and and what we do with it is is our gift back. And and so you know, <laughs> it isn't the best possible thing for us to to. You know, whether it's going to mass, whether it's playing basketball, whether it's you know going home on a, uh, a driving trip, it's it's how do I use this time as wisely as possible to make the most out of it? Um, you know, I had a daughter that uh, overcame cancer last year, but it was uh, it was a hard hard year for my family. But I'm proud that of all the things that that. Uh, it, it, it provoked in us. It was, man, we were engaged in life because you just don't know how long you have. And uh, so it, every minute, every day is a gift. And, and for me to live that, I have to be intentional about being engaged. <laughs> so I'll leave you with that. No, that is perfect. That is great. Um, Greg, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for giving us your time. Thanks for charging our batteries today Thanks as for we listen. <laughs> Congrats on 60, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you, man. But thank you so much for sharing with, uh, with us today. for the opportunity. I appreciate you guys. Okay. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Greg.